I go through the list of incredible partners and they all have been deeply supportive and see the need and everyone to a person has understood the desire to make data more accessible to all groups out there. And it's good for everyone. It raises all ships when we do that. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My returning guest is Kat Atwater, the founder and CEO of the Community Tech Alliance. Kat is a political entrepreneur who is now building a public utility for progressive data. CTA is a new nonprofit company that creates data systems for the specific data needs of progressive organizations. What does that mean and how will it fit in with existing players in the space? In this episode, I get her to explain. If you're interested in how better data systems can help the progressive cause and what Kat, the former deputy CTO of the DNC, is up to now, you should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Kat Atwater at CTA. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. So Kat, I interviewed you and Nell when you were deputy CTO for the DNC back in 2019. So only a couple of years ago, but it seems like we probably have something to catch up on. Would you mind telling me what happened with the rest of your time at the DNC and what occasioned your leaving? Sure. Wow. 2019. So long ago at this point. Yeah, we were young then. We were young and we hadn't won yet. We didn't know what was coming. We hadn't beaten Trump and we hadn't survived the midterm. All right. Yeah. So my last few years at the DNC are, are a bit of a blur, but the DNC tech team is just such an incredible crew of people. And we supported the Biden campaign and all the coordinated as best we could with our new infrastructure. And it went really well. I mean, we were really excited to provide the highest quality data and tools to all the campaigns working in 2020. And it was really incredible feeling to have contributed to, to those big wins and to be setting up the DNC for the long run. And in 2021, you know, I'd done two two tours there. I did the midterms and then the presidential, and I was tired more than anything. It was time to to let the team run. And um, gosh, they have since then. I'm so proud of them all. So, no, I I left in 2021. I took a break. I sorely needed one. I was I was exhausted after two big cycles at the DNC. 
I wanted to think of other ways to be of service to the ecosystem. So it was great to to leave, obviously, in the incredible hands of Nell and shortly after Arthur came on and the whole team there. So it seems like forever ago at this point. I noticed that Nell is leaving and there's a new CTO. Give me any insight into what's happening there and your confidence that things will not be too disrupted or this will be a good move? Yeah, for sure. And fair question. I think the DNC used to have a reputation of kind of disinvesting in tech every every few years. And the good news is I'm super excited and optimistic for the continued investment and reinvestment that the DNC is providing. The tech team, it's stayed the same size since I started there, grown. Arthur is an incredible leader and technologist and has the support of of seasoned DNC veterans at this point, Catherine Tarzny and Gotham. The whole team there is incredible. So now I think they have an incredible foundation to build on and the right team to continue to innovate and provide the great technology tools, data, quality data science to all the campaigns over there. Well, sometimes when the engineering person is elevated to a more political position, that can be a challenge. I don't know him personally. Is Does he have the political skills to navigate a DNC type organization? I don't think anyone knows what they're getting into when they start dealing with the politics of being on senior staff of the DNC. But Arthur has is well, well equipped. He's been there over a year, so he knows the the back and forth of all of the different moving pieces. And like I said, he has two incredible folks. Catherine will be his deputy. I hope I'm not breaking that news. I heard it elsewhere also, so maybe getting around. And she's amazing. She gets she really gets this world. And and you know, I think they've built an incredible set of tools and an incredible trust with the hard side ecosystem. I think Arthur's really well positioned to help them sprint along. So as you're aware, one of the things that I'm interested in is sort of political entrepreneurship, the act of creating new entities within the progressive ecosystem. And you've kind of joined those ranks of late. You said you needed some rest, but apparently you also needed to keep doing stuff. What were you thinking about there and what did you start building and why? Yeah, fair enough. I probably didn't take enough rest. None of us ever do. But after I left the DNC, I was looking for other ways to be of service and actually had zero intent of starting my own thing, but sort of having conversations with folks about other gaps in the ecosystem. You know, at the DNC, we really saw the need to revamp the infrastructure. That was a huge gap. And coming out of there, I just spent three years super focused on data infrastructure. And it seemed to me that there were other groups in need of that same kind of assistance. And so I started having a ton of conversations with folks about needs and about current offerings and 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 desires to build and look forward to the future. So pretty quickly, the concept of putting together some public utility for independent side groups really coalesced the same kind of idea of what Phoenix provides on the hard side to campaigns. It seemed like there was a need for that on the quote unquote soft side. So that coalesced quickly. We did some kind of 
trial balloon testing of is this feasible? Will there be a robust enough offering quickly enough to kind of scale toward the 22 elections? And can we think strategically about providing great utilities for the 24 elections? And yeah, that's how Community Tech Alliance was born. It was not a vision I had early. Honestly, it wasn't an intentional choice at the beginning, but it really kind of coalesced into, hey, I think we should put together an organization that can provide really great and really low cost infrastructure. So I'm a little confused about what the gap was since there were so many other organizations that maybe had some role. So years ago, Catalyst was started and I would hear them saying very similar things about providing kind of a data backend to the independent side. There's the democratic data exchange. There's movement cooperative that has helped bring a variety of tools together. There's private companies like Target Smart that produces data in partnership sometimes and as a vendor. There's the housing of data at NGP Van slash Bonterra. There's like all of these pieces. And honestly, even though I've been around this for a long time and I've talked to some of these people, I don't have clarity about how yours fits in and how all of these others have sorted out. Can you help with that? And Civitech, which picked up Blue Link, which is, is in that mix too. And Totally. And the organizations you just named are all doing incredible, incredible work. They're not all doing incredible work. But <laughs> <laughs> they're all doing decent. Controversial. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to provoke like, you know, come on. People are so careful in what they say about each other. But anyway, you thought you thought there were some gaps in what was already being done, clearly. Right. I could see kind of the daylight between what some of these groups are doing and the struggles that some of them were having themselves. So so here's the thing. In talking to a number of different movement groups out there, C3, C4s, PACs, unions, it was clear to me that a bunch of them were having to spin up their own Redshift databases and hire data engineers and software engineers and deal with code that they wrote 10 years ago, but the person had left and they had no idea how to sync the data from the new tools that they needed. And it just occurred to me that it doesn't make sense for every org to have to have their own Redshift database or BigQuery or Snowflake or whatever they're using. And they don't all need to hire data engineers. There's a bunch of reasons why that doesn't make sense. One, from a cost perspective, we're just duplicating those efforts. Two, from a security perspective, while every professional out there has the great intent of making sure everything's tight, the more surface area we're providing, the more insecure we are. And three, we were creating a system where one analyst had to learn one environment at a union they were working at and then learn an entirely new environment at the C4 they went to work for. And all of this leads to just absolute inefficiency. And what I'm finding, and I still find today, it makes it so all we can dream about is building a better pipeline instead of dreaming bigger about what we could be building in terms of tooling, a sort of data quality, in terms of our ability to gain insights from our program data. We're just always focused on whether the pipeline is broken or not. And that focus is really inhibiting our technology and our data ability as a space. So that's the gap I saw. It wasn't that Catalyst didn't have incredible tools for their users or that 
SEIU hasn't built an incredible infrastructure. It was just that a number of groups are st- were struggling to maintain a database, get their data from Van and from their texting vendor in the same place, and not pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do that. And so that's the kind of interesting sweet spot we found between the groups that are all doing great work. So let me ask you a couple about a couple of those. So like, and I didn't mention like Civis because they have some kind of analytics platform too, right? Why would someone choose to work with what you're doing rather than having everything come into Van or having everything come into Civis or having everything come into Catalyst? Totally. So let's just go through those. Van is the CRM people are using. It's not necessarily meant to be a tool to combine data. And it frankly has been that bottleneck through which a lot of our data has gone through for a really long time. And it's not a data warehouse. It's not a reporting platform. It's not a place to run analytics. So, you know, people using Van need to move that data somewhere they can manipulate it a little differently and a little better. With folks that are using Civis or want to use Civis, it's an incredibly powerful analytics platform. And honestly, what we were finding was not everyone needed that data science or the arsenal of kind of message testing and all the things Civis provides. They needed a, just a cheaper option for a data warehouse. Things like that, there were just like enough use cases that were different than what was being provided today or at the time. And enough to say, we can do this extremely cheaply as a public utility rather than work as a, um, and I guess, no real offense to those who form for-profit corporations in this space, but working toward a more community-owned, community-led model so that folks can really feel like they're trusting in the utility they're using. For those who don't understand, why couldn't what the DNC built be used just directly, if you're kind of doing a kind of a duplication of that. Sure, and I'm not a I'm not a federal elections compliance lawyer, though sometimes I pretend. I think the real answer there is like what's built on the DNC end is is funded by hard dollars, and there would have to be some sort of like really complicated contribution scheme if C4s or C3s or SuperPACs wanted to use that, and like lots of questions on firewalls and, and, and strategy divisions. So the bottom line is kind of the infrastructure built by the DNC, the data that the DNC leverages, that's all extremely firewalled from what anyone on the quote-unquote soft side can use. So what does the democratic data exchange fit in? Yeah, great question. So DDX was formed to fill another very niche gap in the space, which was because of FAC rules, data could not be exchanged in real time between that firewall, right? And after the Obama re-elect we found out that the Republicans had formed this group, the Data Trust, to do just that, to move data back and forth in real time. And the Democratic Party actually said, hey, that can't be legal. That's coordination, right? And the FEC said, no, it's not. They're paying for different data sets across the Data Trust. And so as the CEO of DDX likes to say, if you can't beat them, join them. So we, uh, the DDX was formed to fill that gap of exchanging data in real time during election cycles so that a C3 program could pull down data and see that 
these 500 voters have already had 12 touches this week. Let's move on to another set of voters and vice versa. So the exchange is very specific to moving data around an election cycle that wasn't previously possible. What's different between you and Blue Link? Because when I had one of the founders of that on, it was all about making different progressive databases talk to each other. And so what's different with what you're doing? Blue Link was slash is a cool tool for just that shuttling data around. What makes our product different, and it's called PAD, the Progressive Action Database. PAD is a data warehouse and integrations platform. So it's not just about moving data between tools. It's about bringing data together super easily. What is so important to the progressive ecosystem about having this kind of data? What do they actually do with it that matters to someone who isn't a data person, but is more of a political person? Sure. Whether you're a C3 looking to to register voters and bolster civic engagement, or you're a super PAC doing a ton of digital ads, the tooling that you're using, the kind of voter or, or citizen-facing tooling you're using is so desperate these days. You're using TikTok ads, and you're using maybe a CRM, and you have TV ad buys, and um, you're running a texting program. And all of these tools generate tons of data and it, it's impossible to coordinate or measure or be strategic about your program across these disparate tools without bringing that data together and being able to say, we're seeing amazing canvassing work happening in Pima County, but we're not hitting doors at the rate that we want to, nor are we seeing any effect in our persuasion strategy on digital and being able to strategically make decisions about adding more canvassers in Pima County versus Maricopa. That is why we bring this data together so that a program can see across their various verticals how things are going and make real-time decisions that affect the ability for us to win. What did I read the other day? The five closest house races this cycle, obviously five really mattered, were lost by right around 3,000 or fewer votes. If we can optimize program in those tiny margins across these various tools and using the data that they provide, we just stand such a better chance of winning in those five house races. Um, and we can't do that in the individual tools with just snapshots of how the program is running across those various tools. So you clearly had come to know a lot through your career and through being deputy CTO at the DNC. And you had found a problem that was looking for a solution, a gap in the tech ecosystem. It's a long way from knowing that and having an idea how to solve it to funding it, creating an organization, to hiring a team. Tell me about how you went about making this happen. Yeah, that's a great question. It has been a whirlwind. CTA was founded in October of 21, so we're just a little over a year old. It started with those conversations of, is this a good idea and are people interested? Could we find a user base? And then it turned quickly into, could we find funding for it to get us started? Um, and luckily enough, you know, found a few funders that were deeply interested in solving this interesting data problem who understood the messy situation organizations are in to try and improve their program and, and were willing to give us a little seed. So 
in October of 21, we managed to bring on some funding and that allowed us to build out an absolutely incredible team and start building out our product, which I should, I should take a moment and talk about. Pad is a data warehouse where we are customizing Google Cloud Platform and the BigQuery database to the progressive movement need. Folks could go out and absolutely take advantage of BigQuery's incredible pricing model themselves, and we would actually encourage them to do that. But for the need to build pipelines and integrations into Google Cloud Platform, customize permissioning and structures and data sets within BigQuery itself, and connect to all the other cool tools out there like Google Data Studio and Service Counts and all of the things that folks really need on a daily basis. So our simple premise was let's customize existing enterprise cutting edge tools, leverage open source tooling wherever we can. And we use a great ETL tool called Airbyte, which is a massive open source community Let's make our code transparent. You can find a ton of our transforming ETL code on our GitHub. You're welcome to check it out. And let's try and create really low-cost enterprise tooling that is open source and transparent wherever possible and provide it to the community basically at those hard costs wherever we possibly can. So that's where we got started in October of 21. And here we are just a little over a year later with... 22 partners and over 100 users and a really robust, diverse, incredibly fun team of technologists. I think we just hired our 16th person. We've grown rapidly and it's been a fun ride. Uh, One of the things that I think we want to cover is that choice of making it a nonprofit. There's a lot of discussion, as I'm confident you're aware, of different business models that serve this area that we both care about in different ways and why some people are choosing a for-profit owned by a nonprofit or the movement cooperative method of doing things or just a for-profit company or many other iterations of the business model. What was in your mind about what to choose? Who did you consult with and how did you actually form the entity? the way you wanted it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm a bleeding heart progressive like all of us here. And and I just was so committed to the idea that whatever was created here, and again, like I said, did not set out with the intent of creating a new organization, that it be truly for the community. And the the way to to prove that and to build trust and to to just set ourselves structurally up for the right incentives was to figure out a nonprofit structure. And, and so who did I, I consult with? A lot of lawyers, so many lawyers, about how to set things up in compliance with FEC regulations, with the IRS, with all of the things we needed to do to make sure that we were on the right track. And it kind of clicked at one point. So many groups out there have to start as for-profits because that's actually the easier way to be a vendor and to get investment. And that's fair and that's fine. Totally. I, I subscribe to this mentality that folks in this space should actually be paid more and be able to live really well and do this great, difficult, really 
crushing work sometimes. But I just also feel that no one should get a golden parachute out of the progressive movement. And so that incentive, that structure was really important to me to make sure that we're living our values on that. So obviously, I completely understand there are reasons for the for-profit corporate structure. I was really committed to us being a nonprofit. And I'm really proud that we have been able to operate that way. And one thing I'll say about that is, it makes getting investment harder for us. It's more difficult. And that's okay. For a long time, I think the thinking has been, we need to be a venture-based marketplace because that's the best way to spark innovation. Sort of the higher ground labs model. Yeah, and, that's one yeah. model. And, yeah. and granted, they've sparked some incredible cool innovations out of, out of their fund. And, and yet, I think there's a different model where we see frankly, billions of dollars from donors in various quarters and through various mechanisms funding the work in this space. And it's so interesting to me that the model has always been donor gives to group, group pays vendor. When we could change the model up a little bit where donors can fund utilities and the utilities can provide goods to these groups. And granted, there's a lot of like nuance there <laughs> legally and financially, but that is the hypothesis that CTA is really operating under, that we can be a nonprofit and we can kind of just change the flow of funding to be the roads and pipes and lights as a public utility for these organizations. So are you a 501 what? We are not a 501 anything. We are a nonprofit corporation or a non-stock corporation, which means we cannot generate a profit. There are no shareholders, but we are not tax exempt. So we're in an interesting financial place. We're not a C3 or C4 where we can we can write off anything, but we also cannot generate profit. So given that circumstance, how did you talk people into passing you money? And who did you get? We don't talk publicly about our funders. You don't have to file a 990 or anything? No, because we're not subject to the IRS scrutiny on that front. And how do we talk donors into it? You know, it's always great to try and catch people's attention and say, like, infrastructure is sexy. Look over here. There's a gnarly data problem I want to solve. But luckily, there are folks in the space who have been really leaned in on this question of, A, infrastructure, and B, data and technology advancement. And they, when we described the problem, they all got it immediately. And that was part luck, part opportunity and timing, and part spending a lot of time, way, way too much of my time, thinking about how to describe these really rough data problems in ways that hopefully people are understanding. So what order of magnitude money did you raise? <laughs> um, what order of magnitude money? I mean, 16 people's worth. So that's not that's not too bad. Yeah. In terms of funding it, is the idea to continue to seek money from such donors or to charge for services to the institutions that use you or a combination? So we charge in two ways. One is we pass through hard costs to our users. Google Cloud Platform isn't free and we want to make sure we have a path towards sustainability in the long run. And then we do some ad hoc services that we charge for at kind of a normal consulting rate. It is not our bread and butter, but it has been a way to help the community in 2022. So we're really proud of that work. Those two pieces come together to, to form a, a 
a small percentage of our budget this year. And then that will shift over like a five-year time horizon to sustainability. That's good to hear because one of the worries that people have about funding in the space is that it's easier to fund a new thing than to fund the maintenance of an existing thing, no matter how valuable. I'm not 100% sure how true that is, but it's my sense that there is some truth to that. Do you feel like you have commitments of funding to the point where you will be able to be self-sufficient? Do you never intend to be fully self-sufficient? What's the thinking there? No, I think you're totally right. It is a lot more fun and, and interesting to invest or, or fund the new shiny thing. And I think we've seen that in a couple of different places along the way where it, A, infrastructure gets taken for granted and hard choices have to be made and things start degrading. Or B, something new and shiny comes along and we kind of shift our attention. And, and sure, that's a huge fear I have and a huge risk I think we're taking. But I hedge against that by working toward relationships with the donor community, but more with our partners that will lead us toward that kind of long-term sustainability and setting ourselves up in a way to build infrastructure, maintain that infrastructure and add innovation on top of that. And in the next couple of years, we have some great ideas of ways to contribute to the ecosystem that I think will be a little bit of that shiny again, but more to the point will be additive to program needs. And I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share those. We've seen time and time again, attention shifting away from, from infrastructure. And I do believe that there has been a change in feeling on that across the ecosystem as we've seen, for example, the DNC for a long time was that kind of accordion mode of like build and cut and build and cut. And now we're seeing a steady increase in that. And I will say like the donor community and those focused on the DNC investment are getting that. And we've seen that for the last four years straight. And that is really, really encouraging to me. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always a little bit of risk there and we want to be smart and savvy as we go and make sure that we are accountable to the community on that front. But I'm optimistic. Another thing that strikes me as difficult is finding the right staff, especially for a nonprofit corporation. Although when you have a mission, you can certainly pick up some people who are motivated by that. What was your method for hiring and how did that go? Totally. And I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to just get on my high horse here about that. Hiring is extremely difficult and, and the mission does not make up for everything. In the midst of the 2020 cycle, we definitely saw an uptick of great technologists, engineers, data engineers, data scientists who were interested in coming into the space to help save democracy. And that was extremely great injection of extraordinary people who left really high paying jobs in industry to come. My philosophy on hiring in the space is that the mission has to be clear and the problems have to be cool and the team culture has to be something that folks can feel is inclusive and nerdy and fun. But one mistake we've made as a movement for a really long time is assuming that the mission or even the culture makes up for a lack in salary. And we're talking by orders of magnitude to what people can be paid in the private industry. And that does two things. It reduces the quality of talent that we can get, and it reduces our diversity. If folks feel that they can't support their family or do what they need to do 
we are really crushing ourselves on both quality of talent and on diversity again. My tagline here is always that if you're not getting equity as you would at a Silicon Valley firm, your equity is coming in terms of the mission here, but it doesn't make up for salary. So mission doesn't make up for a lack of salary. Equity is what we're talking about here. I've said I've bungled the way I usually say that, but hopefully you take my meaning. We have to pay at competitive rates, not Facebook or Amazon rates, but we have to pay at competitive rates. We have to provide the benefits and the culture that folks want to see in a remote work environment or in a technology environment for the mission. And then we have to show people what they're doing that's making a difference. So our team is an incredible mix of industry folks who have left big banks or big tech organizations and come to join us and political technologists. It's actually about a 50-50 split. And we focus a ton on that pay equity piece, on crafting a culture of inclusivity and pure nerdy fun um, and making sure folks actually see the results of their work. So they're not just coding all day, but they know that, hey, that report led to this change in decision-making, which probably led to more votes or being able to hear directly the stories from our partners who do the great work and why they do that work and continue to feel invested in that mission. I certainly know that you know, it's hard to find good people and then it's hard to retain good people. I think culture is a, a crucial part of that, as you've mentioned. Being a place that people want to be makes a huge difference. Some people will play the cards of options or a share in the enterprise. That's not really available to you in this model, right? How do you think about the long-term retention of talented people when you're ultimately competing sometimes with other entities that do have that advantage of ownership? Sure. I mean, I think about it in two ways, and I have for a long time. I've been hiring people in this space for probably too long to admit, but think about it two ways. One is, yes, create an environment where people want to work, and that comes from leadership, that comes from setting great benefits and cultural opportunities. And then the other side of that is, I don't think we should be super afraid of turnover. If we can create a world in which our systems are easy to pick up and learn from, where we're following industry standard technology practices, then a new engineer can join. And yeah, there's there's a cost of spinning people up, but we shouldn't be so afraid of folks going into industry, learning something new, and then coming back and cycling in and teaching us. And so my philosophy has always been work with individuals to make sure that they are at home, have what they need to be brilliant, feel connected and belonging in the organization and to their peers, show them the impact they're having, and then send them off when they want to leave to learn something new and invite them back. Progressives, we should think of ourselves as, as one big family, right? They're going to go off and do great things in the, for the world. And then hopefully they cycle back in and we learn something from them and, and the world continues to, to be better. But I'm just an internal optimist on that front and have seen so many incredible humans in this space come in, 
do the work, do a cycle, do a tour, and then go off and sure, make some bigger bucks, get some stock options in the industry space. No begrudging that, but then like come back and show us the new way that you're building things or the new coding technique you've learned. Did you have any difficulty communicating with your donors about having market rate salaries or well-paid people, or were they really supportive of that? No, it was an easy argument because the fact is we have allowed kind of a race to the bottom in terms of technology talent in the ecosystem and to build quickly and quality and what the users need. We had to find competitive, incredibly smart and driven people. And there's just no way to underpay and be able to deliver. So as you built up a staff, is this all coming from you, the idea and the kind of product direction, or how did you go about pulling together the vision and and guiding people to follow it? I mean, the first thing I did, because I'm I'm not a technologist, I'm an organizer. <laughs> the first thing I did was find an incredible technologist to be my thought partner in all of this. And I asked around for who was the smartest person. And multiple people told me to look to Michael Fisher, who had been on the Booker campaign and HFA, but had also worked in industry and is just a incredibly empathetic and hardworking engineer. And we clicked immediately. We, he saw the vision. He understood the gap I was seeing. And we were able to put together a strategy with some other really smart technologists in the space. And from there, we hired a product director who also came from industry who needed to learn the space but understands product process super well. James, he's our incredible product director. And then the fourth to round out our our leadership, we hired Katie Miller, who is a data strategist and politically savvy data human who has come in and transformed our partnerships department into not just kind of quote unquote customer service for data, but into a true collaborative and strategic arm of what CTA does. The four of us came together, we saw the gap and we knew where we wanted to go, have refined that vision and created a roadmap and set the trusting partnerships in motion. And it all has been a little bit kismet. I could not have imagined a better team coming together. And some days I wonder how I convinced these people to come work at CTA, especially when we were just consulting together for a little while. And then it became a real company with benefits and a handbook and things. So I'm just incredibly grateful and surprised every every single day how much we get done and how wonderful they are. I'm sure that you're aware that a lot of the technology startups in the space have failed because of political reasons rather than tech reasons. And part of that has been maybe an ignorance of the incumbents and what they do, or an attitudinal issue of one sort or another, or there's just a lot of ways to get the politics wrong, especially if you're not of the space. You obviously have been around some. And but did you were there any challenges fitting in among the other providers of data and tech? Absolutely. There's always challenges. And 
I'm encouraging and excited by by new ventures, but I think you're exactly right. The politics is extremely political and very difficult to navigate. And I feel lucky to have the kind of just right combination of experience, having worked in union world, having worked on the hard side for analytics vendor, like all of those things together have really led us to this place. But there's a couple of things there. Being able to point at and describe the problem you're trying to solve in this space and not eat anybody else's lunch, like that is a really important point to be able to convey right from the outset and to be able to say, we're partnering closely with the groups out there that do things that are slightly similar and also say, we're absolutely never going to create a voter file. That's an easy win for us out here. And something I think surprisingly some folks never understood. There is simply a fact that there is history in this space and a respect for the fact that like, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, when Laura Quinn came out into the world and tried to build a technology company, that was an impossible, an insurmountable task. And she succeeded at it. And some people may not have liked the way she did it, but Hey, there's a lasting organization in Catalyst that does incredible data work out there. And I have so much respect for that and wanted to learn from the folks that went before me. There are so many examples of that, of great leaders and frankly, great, you know, there aren't enough, but a few incredible female leaders that I have really enjoyed trying to follow in the footsteps of. Have you talked to Laura about about this enterprise? Yes, of course. She comes to mind and, you know, Lindsay Cortez and Amanda Colomb and Christina Sinclair over at Clarity. Some people have just like forged paths in this space that I am so incredibly proud of and deeply grateful for the support they've all provided me. All that granted, there is an inevitable overlap between what you do and some of the folks that we've mentioned. Who do you view as competition or who views you as competition? That's so funny because when I think about competition, it's like AWS probably isn't happy with me right now because we are limiting the number of new Redshift instances in the space. Well, they they, they may not notice uh, on the scale that they operate. That's exactly right. No, I mean, I don't think we have any direct competition, right? Like, as I mentioned, there are folks that are either spinning up a database themselves they have one and they need some help with data engineering. Um, Or there's also the groups out there that need a powerful data science tool and and they're using Civis. And I think they're the ones we get equated with the most often, but it's very straightforward to say some folks need that and have the ability to pay for that. And some folks don't. I don't necessarily see a competitive setup there, but I'm trying to think of others. There's, There's really not, as far as I know. We've been very intentional about setting up partnerships where, to your point, there may be overlaps in work that we're doing. And and I'm so deeply grateful to the folks at Target Smart and Van and Catalyst and all of these great institutions that exist to work with us and figure out the synergies of our partnerships. We're providing free data sets in PAD to all of our partner organizations with open precincts data from Blue Rose and with data from Catalyst Targets. Like, I go through the list of incredible partners and they all have been deeply supportive and see the need. And everyone to a person has understood 
the desire to make data more accessible to all groups out there. And it's good for everyone. It raises all ships when we do that. You mentioned that you have 22 partners and more than 100 users. I did not understand what a partner is and what a user is in that context. What do you mean? Got it. Uh, partners, are, I guess anyone else would probably call them like customer organizations. So one great example, we worked with Mi Familia Vota this cycle, and they had, I don't know, I forget, three or four users on the platform who were able to bring in data from their voter file from Bonterra Every Action Van however we're saying that, and really see their program in real time. Groups like that, and that's what I mean by partners. And so is a user a different person at the Familia Voda? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So each of our orgs has three plus users, I think. So that's how, how we scale. But we have a number of vendor partners, which is separate. And those are the folks that we sync data back and forth with. So whenever you, I mean, you're early, you just started, Having 22 partners is an excellent number for testing whether what you do works and also not so big of a number that you can kind of get in too deep and not be able to fulfill your promises is my guess. What have you learned from having your first partners? Because my guess is that some things go wrong, some things need to be changed, What are you learning along the way now? The biggest thing we've had to focus on is the way to make enterprise level tools like BigQuery more accessible and addressable to entry level users. So one example there is pretty quickly we learned that when you open up the BigQuery interface, it can be kind of overwhelming and you don't know where your project is and you need to find your data. And so we immediately, and I have to credit Fisher for coming up with this idea, he created a Chrome extension that takes people right to their project and helps them immediately set up a SQL query so that they can understand the structure of their data and how to preview it. It's some little things like that that we want to continue to focus on to make data more accessible, but also the user experience a little more frictionless. And we've learned that from our users along the way. And so we do a ton of user testing and user feedback and really focus on productizing this customization of tooling so that we are always learning from that set of users. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a great size to like intake a little bit of data here, make quick adjustments and iterations. But the focus we've always had is to be able to build to great scale and reliability. And that's why we chose Google Cloud Platform because of the ability for concurrency and for scalability on that front. What else have we learned? We've learned that training is absolutely key across the ecosystem. It doesn't just involve PAD or CTA's tools. We need more data training. We need more strategic data interpretation training, all of those things. We knew that, but we just see that firsthand every day. I'm familiar with, from an earlier era, the trade-off between the power of sort of making available the back-end tools that engineers use to manage data and a custom interface, which simplifies that for the average user. You know, like sometimes people would build something which basically generates a SQL query on top of 
a SQL engine, which is not that far is my guess from where you are, to what extent are you building your own custom interface software on top of the back end? And to what extent are you just trying to make available what the engineers see? Yeah, that's right. I mean, for the most part, when we're talking about analytics tools in BigQuery or Google Data Studio, we are letting folks run with the the enterprise level tool there, right? We're never going to improve on what Google has built. But in terms of accessibility, to your point, and making sure we're providing entrees, we are working on our user-facing portal, which is more about data movement, about connecting with digital tools, will be about matching. It's a little bit of a helper, but it is not intended to really do anything other than kind of bring external tooling to BigQuery and work on training and and usability of the BigQuery interface as our like main SQL editor, for example, and really just trying to create more entrees into that environment than to create something totally separate that has to be maintained and designed in a way. So that portal, which we're calling Pond right now, we have a little bit of a frog theme going on at CTA, will be released very shortly. We're really excited to roll that out to the world. So do they have the ability to damage their own data, to overwrite it, to change everyone's last name to Smith or get into anybody else's data or... I mean, in any database, you could damage your own data. The good thing about Google is we can always restore things. So we're in good shape there. But no, I mean, the the cool thing about GCP is we're able to create really secure data storage units. So folks could come in. Yes, absolutely. You could, um, you could overwrite everyone's last name, but there's no more, there's no more like backslash D vertica, like, oh my God, I've ruined it for everyone ever because the partitioning is so great. We're able to share a lot of data across projects when our partners are interested in that, but also everything is deeply secured and firewalled into their own environment. So there's no worry about cross-pollination or unexpected sharing at all. One thing that came up when we talked back in 2019 was about all of these other tech entrepreneurs that are building specific solutions that are helpful to campaigns or other political organizations. And one, one thing I've seen them do is try to figure out who do they integrate with? Can we integrate directly with the DNC or be shown there through some kind of marketplace? Some people were integrating with Catalyst. Some people are integrating with Van. Some people are getting data from a target smart. What would your recommendation be to an entrepreneur in the space who is building something which is going to generate its own data for its own clients in its own specific area. If I'm doing that, who do I connect with? Who do I connect with first? What are the priorities? How do you see that? Right now, I would say, come talk to us. We're excited and we're building new pipelines to new tools every single day. We have a long tail of a roadmap that's working through. What would they gain? If they connect to Catalyst, maybe they have access to the Catalyst voter file and they can do stuff with it. What do you have that they would want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
first of all, I would say just come talk to us because we do this a lot with tools and we can help navigate that exact question. If they need voter file data, we can't provide that. We are only intaking data, but we can help navigate the ecosystem. So um, yeah, sure. If they need a, a voter file to underlie the great tooling that they're creating, they should absolutely talk to a target Smarter catalyst. But if they want to provide data or run batching flows or work with their partners on getting data out or between groups, we are the absolute place to go. And then, you know, the DNC on on the hard side for that exact same thing. And I think I think what new tools should do in the space and have been doing is work on creating great data structures that already leverage existing ontologies and can easily plug into data structures that exist in the space. And so we are really happy to provide advice on that. And I know the DNC would be as well. It is a frustrating space to navigate as a new entrant right now. And I think we are we're thinking very long term about ways to try and assist with that to make new innovations possible across the entire ecosystem wherever we can. Is it reasonable for such an entrepreneur to think of you as potentially being the back end to their app? I think at some point, yes. I wouldn't say today we are ready for that, but I would love for us to move in that direction where we're able to provide them the data they need and then move that data back and out in ways that help support program for sure. A while ago, I had on the show the founder of Pipeline Initiative. Yeah. It sounds like you're well aware of it. They have back end data needs. Could you like walk me through like for that specific example, like if they came to you, what would engagement like look like with you? What would you be able to help them with? Because they 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 were looking at multiple pieces of back end information to deal with. Totally. I mean, for an organization like Pipeline Initiative, who just does fantastic work and I was excited because Denise is just a fantastic leader. For an organization like them, we would first of all want to do an assessment of which front end facing data tools they're using, which data sets they're bringing in. And then we would figure out the right kind of level of pad access to provide them and help them either set that up, migrate data in, prepare the voter file if they have a Catalyst file or a Target Smart file. They just kind of show us the golden ticket and we can turnkey voter file populates and updates every day in pad for them, and then start syncing data in from various tools, help them access Data Studio or whichever visualization platform they want to use. If it's Periscope, if it's Tableau, we can plug those things in. If they need assistance, we kind of have a stable of folks who are fantastic report and dashboard builders who can come in and be helpful to them. And then along the way, as they're adding new tools, as they're thinking about evaluating new tools, if there are ways that they want to lower costs for their technology program, or they want to bring on some fantastic new fancy data sets. We are there to help them think that through and then integrate all of that together into their data strategy going forward. I think if I were running what you're running, I I would have a strong temptation to build a lot of software on top of it, to have my own lab and generate different applications that I knew weren't out there or I knew could be better than what was out there. How do you think about that? Is that in your future or are you steering clear of that? Yeah, we are steering as far clear as that as we possibly can. I mean, one of the things that we acknowledged from the beginning was the kind of 
potential for scope creep here. And as folks that want to be a pure utility and infrastructure, we want to be extremely mindful of the sustainability for that, the scalability for that, reliability, security. We have to focus on the core of making sure the roads are paved, the pipes are clear. If we can help cultivate an ecosystem that creates it easier for new entrants to join the marketplace, for data to move, for accessibility for analysts, we will absolutely explore that from that mindset of what does a utility look like here? What would it mean for infrastructure to support that? But I think new data tools that prep up entrepreneurial spirit and innovation we should absolutely support that. It's just about whether we can make that easier in the long run. If you've landed 22 partners, who would you love to work with that you haven't yet and why? I come from a union background and I will always look to my brothers and sisters at the unions to come join. Do you have any so far? We do. Yeah, we do. So continuing to support them in their work is absolutely a deep dream of mine, but also. I want to support every C3 who has the inclination to create a dashboard that makes their work better. I want to support whomever needs accessibility of their digital data so that they can run better programs to young people. I would like our partnership to be reflective of our values and diverse and helping all sorts of different kinds of programs from the largest packs to the smallest groups doing incredible work who just need that little bit of help with their data. Would that include like 501c3s that are not political at all? What are the boundaries on your customer set? Like somebody's a poverty organization in Tampa using a commercial CRM? We have an internal framework for evaluating who we work with. We don't work with everyone and we won't work with Republicans or those who support coups or things like that. Sure, a small nonprofit, absolutely. Folks who are doing great progressive work there to advance our values, we would absolutely work with them. What else would you want people to know about your entity that we haven't already gotten to. Yeah, we've covered most of it. I'd love folks to know that we are here to be advisors in this complicated data and technology space of the ecosystem. And we've thought deeply about how tools and data and user experience work together. And so we would love to give advice. The other thing I'd love for everybody to know is that we're hiring. We're looking for engineers. We're looking for a data product manager who thinks deeply about data as a product, which is kind of unique in the space. So overall, we're here and we're open and we are truly looking to become conveners of this community to share knowledge and data wherever we can. When you look around from this new vantage point, do you see other gaps now? Other things that you think should be built adjacent or connected or not? Yeah, I mean, I think you pointed to one earlier. I think it is hard for new innovative tooling to enter the space and to be able to navigate or access data or provide that data to their programs. So that's an interesting problem I see out there. Um, Training, immediately number one, is just finding more incredibly talented data professionals to join the space. 
and folks to be able to like work on a campaign using Phoenix at the DNC and then be able to come to work at a C3 and provide those incredible skills to civic engagement efforts. That's huge. And so we need more folks and more training in the space always. I mean, that was a kind of an NOI function back in the day. Is there, is that something that you want under your umbrella? I think there are better organizations more equipped to do that out there. And we've seen Arena and Generation Data and Change the Game and Repower really take the mantle on those. And right, NOI was that spearhead for so long, but I think those organizations are, are really taking the baton. So where do you want to be in a year or two? I'd like to be just at scale from where we are now to have the features and accessibility of data available to whomever needs it and to continue to play that role as utility and convener of this community to, to continue to improve that access and frictionlessness and and just user experience. We've heard from so many of our users that it was just nice to have the data and the reporting and it was there and the pipelines never broke and they were just always able to get the answers they needed. And so if in a few years, everyone feels that way and no one is frustrated with data engineering, that will open up our ability to do so much more in terms of data program enhancement and innovation. So if we can provide that platform, that would be ideal. So what's the question I should have asked that I failed to? I don't think there is one. Anything else you want to say? No, I appreciate you enlightening the community with this podcast. And I've been waiting to be on, so it was really exciting. Thanks much. That was Kat Atwater. She's at communitytechalliance.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.